Welcome to episode 12 of In Your Element, a gaming podcast. I'm your host, Matthew Adler. Today, I'm joined by Ryan Berger, publisher of Old School Gamer Magazine and Lifelong Gamer. Ryan, how are you doing today? Oh, I'm doing pretty good. Kept a pretty busy day and then a uh, busy evening for me. Just getting a little bit of stuff done, working on our seventh issue of the magazine that we'll tell you a little bit more about later. Sounds good, man. Uh, why don't you give the listeners a bit of background for yourself and what you do? Uh, background, I've been a gamer since the Intellivision, which makes some cool stuff that we're going to be able to talk about a little bit later. And my first computer was a TI-99 for a loading up games via audio cassette. No and way. Ethan's Jack, baby. Yeah. We're talking pre-floppy disks, pre-cartridge. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So um, been a uh, gamer all my life. Um, let's see. The next console after that would be the Sega Genesis. I skipped the Nintendo. Mm-hmm. And I've since gone back to it. I started buying arcade machines about 15 years ago. I have six or seven of them in my house right now and have about 25 oh, wow. consoles hooked up um, awesome. and launched this magazine about a year ago. Very cool, man. Well, um, today's format for this show is going to be a bit different. We're going to run through the news for the week as usual. And then for the featured segment, we'll be interviewing Ryan to learn about his vast gaming history and some passions for retro gaming. Before we begin, I'd like to take a moment to let you know where you can find In Your Element online. Social media is going to be our website, in your element doc, uh, excuse me, in your element podcast.com. Instagram is at in your element podcast. Twitter is at IYE podcast. And visit patreon.com slash in your element to support at any level. You'll receive bonus episodes early, gain exclusive access to the in your element Discord server, be eligible for giveaways, attend patron hangouts, and more. And if you have any questions for the show, email me at hello at in your element podcast.com and I'll answer your questions on the next episode. All right, so the first piece of news that I found fitting for uh, this episode specifically is the recent announcement of the Intellivision Amico, which was just unveiled at the Portland Retro Gaming Expo, which you were at this uh, past weekend. Mm -hmm. And we heard recently that this console was in development, but they have uh, been relatively quiet with details until this last weekend. Uh, So to give the listeners a brief background, industry veteran Tommy Tallarico formed up with a couple of the original team members of Intellivision to create Intellivision Entertainment. Their aim was to bring back the Intellivision in some form or another and modernize it for today's generation of gamers. What they revealed is the Intellivision Amico, which is a modern 2D gaming console that will ship with two controllers that are reminiscent of the original controller design, but with an updated color LCD screen. And they'll feature a gyroscope, accelerometer, Qi wireless charging that you can just place right on the console itself. Uh, So definitely a lot more updated than it was back in the day, of course. Um, Little is known of the games thus far as there were only a handful of confirmed games, but it looks like they will range in price from about $2.99 to $7.99. They'll feature online multiplayer support. They'll have no DLC or in-app purchases. Um, The goal that they said for the Amico is to be family-friendly, accessible to gamers for, um, uh, well, to those game folks that play games and those who don't regularly play games. They want to have a balanced experience for both, and they're targeting a price point of $149 to $179 and are expected to launch October 10th of 2020. Uh, Ryan, you had some experience seeing that firsthand. What are your thoughts on this new age retro console? Well, first of all, I mean, I was at E3 last year. I'm I'm assuming your listeners are familiar with the E3 show. Mm -hmm. And first spoke with Tommy there. I had known of him before that. For those of you that are not familiar with him, he's done the video games live concerts and has an extensive history in the video game industry from the musical side of things, Mm -hmm. and actually is a uh, cousin of Steven Tyler from Aerosmith. Oh, really? I didn't know so, that. So he's, he's a little bit of rock and roll royalty. Um, actually, I looked up a quick note that, um, yeah, Stephen's actual last name is Tellerico. Oh, uh-huh. wow. So No kidding. <laughs> so, yeah, he's got an e-connection. But, yeah, I met the people at, at E3, talked with Tommy, talked with um, 
all the people involved or a bunch of the people that are involved in it and found out a lot about this. I mean, they're really shooting for that 2D gaming, which is which if you see the video that's online on their Facebook page, um, it's a 2D chip built in the thing. They want to be the highest def 2D gaming stuff. It's not even going to be 3D at all. Mm-hmm. It's all family friendly gaming. I mean, they were showing some cool stuff on this that that you, you described there. But I mean, there's some other things that, that weren't referenced in. I mean, it's going to come with two controllers. Mm-hmm. Kind of kind of reminds me of like Wii controllers kind of stuff with the gyros and that kind of stuff, mm-hmm. touch screens and everything. But then you're also going to be able to pull in, I think, like six other people with an app on their phones. Yeah, and, which is cool. Join in. I mean, it, it's really, they're shooting for that family atmosphere of the coffee table, pop Monopoly down, and play everybody play and join. Non-violent mm-hmm. stuff, everything rated E for everyone. It mm-hmm. really looks cool. It's two years away, mm-hmm. but it really looks cool. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm definitely intrigued by the announcement. It's, it's something that I could definitely see succeeding in this environment and then also completely flopping with uh, mobile games being out there and uh, a lot of set top boxes that involve these little, you know, gather around, pull out your smartphone type games. There's a lot of that already now that's very accessible and just mobile gaming in general has, has really opened up a lot of the, you know, non-gamer market. So it's it's uh, it's an interesting product. I you know, as a retro gaming lover myself, I think it's very cool to see that they kept a lot of the original design from like the controller aspect and they're modernizing it with a lot of the new tech that's out there now. I especially like the the Qi wireless charging. You just set the, the controllers down, they charge wirelessly, which is very neat. Uh, I don't know. I, I'm intrigued to hear more and see some of the games that they're going to bring out. I, I know they said there won't be any ports, so none of the existing games are going to get ported to this. They're all going to be console exclusives. Um, I just don't know if they're going to be compelling enough to have a family spend 149 or 180 if they can spend $100 more or get a console that has a lot of these types of experiences as well albeit at a much high, higher price point so um interesting yeah, I I think I think it should be neat I mean I think the real key is that they got the price point down there so that people mm-hmm. can afford them yeah. I mean it's 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 similar pricing to what the thing came out with 30 years ago when the television originally hit <laughs> and then and then the games are going to be moderately cheap I yeah. think so I mean, it's got a good shot. I think it's mm-hmm. it's got the right people behind it. Yeah. Um, I'll, I'll be definitely buying one. I've been told that they're definitely not going to be doing crowdfunding. It's with a traditional mm-hmm. model. They're helping to finance people that, that are wanting to develop games. So mm-hmm. they're backing it. There, there's some good funding in this group. So it should be really, really cool. Yeah. And the uh, uh, I know the Atari VCS was also recently unveiled, not fully, but just more so the design aspect. So, I, you know, maybe we're seeing a resurgence of these um, true retro consoles, the, the ones that really kicked it off and started it all. So the, the console wars are back. <laughs> no doubt about it. Right. Yeah. Very, very true. Well, the uh, the second game gaming news that I saw this week that was of importance, I, I believe, is Spider-Man uh, topping the uh, game sales for the month of September, and this news came from IGN.com. They report that Spider-Man not only topped the charts for best-selling game in September, it's already the third highest-selling game of this entire year, right behind God of War at number two and Far Cry at the top. IGN notes Spider-Man also netted the biggest launch month in dollar sales for any PlayStation exclusive in its history and generated the highest dollar sales during its launch compared to any game this year, achieving launch sales that are 37% higher than the combined launch month sales of every other Spider-Man game released since the NPD began tracking game sales in 1995. Uh, I think it's amazing that they were able to achieve that. It's definitely something that PlayStation fans should be proud of. Um, I've heard this game also has one of the highest platinum trophy rates for any game. Uh, I myself got it. Uh, my friend that I recorded the episode with got it as well. It shows that people are very invested in the story and the world that Insomniac Games have created. 
Um, and, and people really just want to be in that world as much as they possibly can. Uh, the first piece of the City That Never Sleeps DLC titled The Heist um, came out earlier this week. I uh, played through it, and I must say it's more of what you love so much about Spider-Man, more excellent storytelling, new collectibles, new missions, um, and there's still two more pieces of story DLC coming out later this year, one in November, one in December, to round out the City That Never Sleeps story arc. Uh, Ryan, have you gotten a round of playing Spider-Man at all? No, I, I haven't played it. My son's played it both back at E3 mm-hmm. and uh, has so, since already won the game um, awesome. at home. He said he yeah. went through every little bit of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and it looks cool. I mean, I'm mm-hmm. I'm not into modern stuff. Mm-hmm. So um, yeah. I did just look up a stat. Okay, the Spider-Man game came out in 1981 by Parker Brothers for the 2600. Mm-hmm. Sold 0.87 million copies. Oh, wow. So, yeah, I mean, uh, even back then, that's pretty, that's significant. Yeah. <laughs> it's almost as good as Donkey Kong Jr., which sold just a little bit better. So, yeah. But, uh, Spider-Man's one of those uh, series that will, will come around all the time. I mean, mm-hmm. with with all the the Marvel Studios stuff that's popping up, mm-hmm. you know, uh, with things are out there, with a the new, new superhero movie coming out about every other month. Yeah. Uh, Spider-Man's been, what, rebooted three or four times in the movie theaters? Right. Um, <laughs> So, and from what I get out of it, I mean, the story, the story stuff that it's got all based off of it is absolutely fantastic. Yeah. So haven't played it, have watched Sun play and that's about it. Awesome. Well, very cool. It's definitely a treat. And I'm sure he probably got the platinum trophy. Sounds like based on his time in the game. So yep, yep. very cool. Well, those are the two new stories that I wanted to touch on for this week. Uh, I want to jump into the interview now with you, Ryan, uh, as we've definitely got a lot to cover. So uh, I think the first place to start is just with your general gaming history. So you grew up in an era that saw the birth of gaming and a lot of technical achievements. What was your first gaming memory? I can literally picture where on the shelf my parents bought the Intellivision from Sears and Roebuck in Cincinnati, Ohio. Mm-hmm. I can picture the plain brown box it was, the sticker that was on it because we bought the Sears edition, so it wasn't the pretty box. Yeah, and I can remember. T- I can remember taking it home and playing it in my fan in my parents' um, family room. I mean, yeah. we're talking uh, whenever that whenever it came out. I think like 81, something like that. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I can remember that vividly. Um, there's no doubt about it. Um, it was just fantastic. I mean, yeah, ha- having having things react on the screen to what I'm doing versus just staring at different strokes mm-hmm. or silver spoons or the A team or whatever I was watching otherwise was cool. Yeah. I mean, it was responding. They they had had game systems that were at home with the basic pong stuff for ten mm-hmm. years, you know, mm-hmm. which I hadn't played. But it was just cool that we could actually do something with what's on the TV instead of just zone out in front of it. Yeah, a little more interactive for sure. Absolutely. Wow. That's very cool. Well, um, what about your own personal gaming history that you that span past that? So take a, take us on a bit of a tour of some of the games and systems you've played throughout the years. Okay. Well, as I said in the be- beginning of the stuff, I started with the Intellivision, mm-hmm. uh, playing a bunch of stuff on there like Astro Smash and Shark Shark and that kind of thing. Went over to the TI. My favorite game on that was Parsec. It was kind of a defender game. Mm-hmm. They had Munch Man, which was like their Pac-Man game. They had all these knockoffs on the on the TI. Yeah. Um, and then skip up to uh, playing on my Apple II, playing stuff like Bard's Tale and Ultima, mm-hmm. and, and then that kind of stuff. Uh, let's see, skip up a little bit more. First games on the PC. Um, going back and buying a console, which I believe was the Genesis when I was in college. We're talking 1992-ish mm-hmm. there. You know, I think at that point it was a secondhand console. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I bought my first arcade machine literally... What would it be probably about 2003, 2004. I've oh, owned cool. probably 20 different arcade consoles or arcade yeah. machines. 
and currently have every Nintendo, every PlayStation, Xboxes, except for the Xbox One, in television, mm-hmm. every Sega. Yeah, I've, I've got a couple of them stacked up. Let's call, oh, let's very call that. Cool. Every Nintendo. I mean, and the thing is, I, I play them sometimes, but I more kind of enjoy the collecting and the atmosphere of it. I get around a oh, lot yeah. of these video game cons and just enjoy remembering back then. Oh, sure. Um, yeah. And that's why the retro scene has been going so well lately, mm-hmm. is us kids of the 70s, 80s, and early 90s now have jobs, now have mm-hmm. real jobs, have money that we mm-hmm. can go out and buy these things that mom threw away when we moved off out of the house to go off to college. Right. I mean, it, it's 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 why the retro resurgence has taken over. I mean, the, the Nintendo minis, the Sega minis, the new mm-hmm. Intellivision, the new Atari, the new everything. Yeah, um, yeah. Updating our old, updating our old school games. I mean, I don't mm-hmm. know if you've seen this thing called the Atari Pong table, but it's a physical Pong machine that the actual pieces are moving. It's a coffee table for your house. No it's kidding. Three, it's three thousand dollars. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. But it's really, really freaking cool. Yeah. Oh, that's so. very cool. Yeah. Well, uh, prior to uh, your magazine that you started, Old School Gamer Magazine, uh, what was your profession prior to that? Um, still being, I'm still a a publisher. Okay. I have I have created a I created a website called ProDJ.com that grew me in um, into uh, buying the trade magazine of the DJ industry. These are the wedding DJs and school dance DJs, that kind of mm-hmm. stuff that are out mm-hmm. there. And I still still work on that the majority mm-hmm. of my time. Okay. My passion, though, in the last year since I created Old School Gamers, obviously Old School Gamer, I've been enjoying that more. Sure. But what what pays the bills is is they called Mobile Beat. So if 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 for some reason you're a gamer and a retro and a and a DJ, mm-hmm. check out Mobile Beat. Come out to Mobile Beat Las Vegas, um, our trade show that we run. But this is I, I've been having a blast. I mean, I've yeah. gone to probably probably twenty different video game cons mm-hmm. in the last year. I've talked with hundreds, probably thousands of gamers that are just like me that are reliving our youth yeah, and, and having, cool. having fun with space invaders and Galaga and mm-hmm. hanging out with Billy Mitchell and Walter day and the whole gang of people that were, that are still, still in some form living in the eighties. Yeah. What was your inspiration for creating this magazine since it is somewhat of a new venture for you? Um, there wasn't anybody that had done it. Well, mm-hmm. there has been since, since the mid 1990s there's been five or six different people try to make a magazine in north america for the retro gamers there's been one in the uk and it took off and did great retro gamer i think it's retrogamer.net mm-hmm. um i used to pick up that magazine in barnes and noble and look at it every month and i loved it i now get it digitally on my ipad um but no one had done it successfully in here the difference between me and the past people is I've experienced at doing a magazine before mm-hmm. the, the mobile beat magazines had 25 years in print and another couple more years in pure digital format. And I, I knew if anybody could do it, I'd be the one to do it. I went out and found the right writers that were mm-hmm. well established. Well, have good reputations, got them writing for us, got bloggers going on the website for content. And basically we're giving away the digital version of the magazine so people can see everything we're doing. And we're up to, I think six or 700 subscribers that are paying yeah. to subscribe to it. That's fantastic. It's, it's getting there. Yeah. I've got, a, I've got a ways to go. Um, but you know, I'm probably, I, you know, I'm a year, in, a little bit over a year into this mm-hmm. and, um, I've made most of my goals. With That's what wonderful. Yeah. 
So the being that the gaming industry itself is still a very young one as compared to other media industries like movie and TV and uh, newspaper print and all that, how do you think that we should go about preserving gaming's history? Well, I'll tell you, there are some some fantastic music, museums out there. Mm-hmm. Uh, for instance, in um, in Frisco, Texas, in the Dallas Fort Worth area, there's the uh, National Video Game Museum that is doing a great job with it. There's a place in Rochester, New York, called the Strong um, mm-hmm. Museum that's great if you're going to be up there. There's a group, the let's see, Museum of Pinball in Banning, California, that um, which is a far eastern suburb of of Los Angeles. That's mm-hmm. doing it. What these people are doing is they're taking these games, pulling them out of basements and out of garages and all kinds of different stuff, and restoring them and archiving them for permanent usage on stuff. For instance, yeah. I, tour- I toured, when I toured the Strong, I went into three-fourths of their stuff is not on display. I went into their archives and saw that they have a copy of floppy disks you know, and stuff like that, and pulling them wow. over to digital. I mean, yeah. keeping this material out there. The Internet Archive does some of that kind of stuff, but I mean, we're talking really, really keeping the keeping the material because floppy disks have have a lifetime. Even CD ROMs yeah. have a lifetime, sure. and it's so easy to archive this material. So mm-hmm. that on the physical side of things, on the other side of things, is stuff like what we're doing. We're interviewing these these pioneers, the David yeah. Cranes, the uh, Richard Garriotts of Ultima fame, those mm-hmm. kinds of guys, and getting their story in print. And in mm-hmm. digital, so it's out there because those first generation of people are passing away because they're getting older. Ralph Bayer, who who really invented the video game, mm-hmm. passed away a couple years ago. Yeah, Nolan Bushnell, who started Atari, is mm-hmm. getting up there in age. Yeah, those people, that generation of people that were creating games in the 1970s, are getting old. Right. And we need we need to get their stories out there so we know a hundred years from now that we, you know that there's now been 140 years of video games. Mm-hmm. We know that they're still there and people can appreciate the past. Right. Um, yeah, I, I agree with you there. I I, uh, I haven't been to a gaming museum myself, but I've seen a lot of online collections that people have put together of certain material. And I just I, I want to see like an actual like nationally recognized thing if that exists or if it doesn't. I, I wish it did. Um, that people could contribute to. Yeah, there's three or four different groups doing their own thing. There's also um, the Pinball Hall of Fame in um, in Las Vegas mm-hmm. that is that just bought a bunch of property right on the strip that's going to do a lot of stuff. So there's oh, a lot cool. of people doing it independently. Um, yeah. There's a group here in Iowa. Um, case your listeners don't know, if you haven't seen the movie King of Kong or any of the stuff that's out there with that, Atumwa, Iowa, which is about an hour and a half hour and a half south of me, is mm-hmm. actually the birthplace of competitive esports. Really? It was was the first place that anybody kept track of scores, high scores. Walter Day, who's a friend of mine I spent last weekend with in Portland, Mm -hmm. um, back in, I think, 80 or 81, 82, called the manufacturers of like Williams and Midway and stuff like that and asked who's keeping track of scores for who got the highest score on Robotron or or whatever, Mm -hmm. Pac-Man. No one was, so he started doing it. Our issue number two that you can check out by checking out the oldschoolgamer.com, check out issue number two, tells that whole story. So we're trying to get something going for little Tumwa, Iowa, thinking it might, may someday be sort of like the, the um, Cooperstown Baseball Hall of Fame, which is out in the middle, uh, of, nowhere, out yeah. the middle of nowhere in New York. Well, yeah. we kind of place out in the middle of nowhere, <laughs> Iowa, that, that might be the video game capital of the world. Yeah, that'd be very cool. So Yeah, I... I that's very exciting. I, I really do think that gaming just has such a rich history and you make a good point. There's 
a lot of people that were industry pioneers that are, have either passed or are getting to that point. And I, I, I think it is important to get their story, just like anything else that you would uh, be interested in, you know, sports or uh, other forms of media. I mean, those there's so much out there that people don't know about that there should be a great place to go and, and see that or view it or play it or whatever. So mm-hmm. that's very cool. Um, I know we were talking a bit earlier about uh, retro gaming resurgence over the past few years uh, with things like the NES Classic being launched, uh, the SNES Classic, uh, the PlayStation Classic that just got announced, uh, the uh, Atari, the Intellivision that we just mentioned. It seems everywhere you look, there's these new classic consoles that are being released from all these different companies. What's your take on this approach? Um, There'll always be these these easy consoles that are 20 to $50 or $75 that have games built into them that mm-hmm. are great to get people into stuff Yeah, to, get, to go further with it. But the, the, the real vibe is getting out there and actually playing it in its original format. Mm-hmm. I, I really, I mean, I have every little, every little Atari game that's ever come out on my little handheld. Okay. The ROMs for it. And I just can sit and play them anytime I want to, but I literally have 400 different Atari games. I've collected the, cartridge and wow. i just I, I enjoy that vibe with stuff and playing them in their original format you can play mame and the roms but playing it on the actual art you know in an actual arcade with mm-hmm. the black lights going and people around you and mm-hmm. you put your quarter in there or you have a wristband um kind of thing yeah. playing it in the original form is great is is the best way to do it if it gets more people excited about some of these retro titles i'm thrilled yeah, I mean, there's there's been reinventions, redone versions of Galaga and Pac-Man, done by Roth Rails and other companies that are out there. That it's a blast to play. It gets people to know their their the origins. Mm-hmm. I mean, th- these kids are playing uh, these Mario games, and they may not actually realize that you know Jumpman from Donkey Kong is Mario. I mean, just right. connecting all that stuff through, it's mm-hmm. it's, it's fantastic. Yeah, and especially just kind of seeing the evolution of games over time. I mean, people who grew up in the uh, early 90s, like myself, or, or early 2000s, even newer, uh, they they don't have the uh, maybe access to these older games. So I think these these smaller consoles are a great way to introduce these titles to a new generation of gamers who haven't experienced that. And then they can start to draw the lines backwards and say, oh, you know what? I really see how this format of game uh, was was inspired by this older game, which was inspired by something even older. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can trace everything back, I'm sure, to Atari games uh, in some form or another. So, yeah, um, yeah. There's there's some neat stuff out there. Even these little twenty dollar things you get at the dollar stores, stuff mm-hmm. like that, has some cool basic games on them. And I mean, it, it's getting people into into these games. So I'm I'm thrilled with all that stuff out there. The are I don't know if you've seen Arcade One Up um and, and the and the, the stuff they're doing check out arcade one up.com they're mm-hmm. a, they're making two-thirds scale arcade machines oh wow they're not they're not the real thing okay but they're mm-hmm. pretty darn close they're kind of a put together kind of a thing so i mean they can't compare to having a galga machine made in 1985 in your basement but it's getting people again into the old school games yeah and and probably at a bit more accessible price point i would think too yeah the, the, they're three to four hundred dollars Oh, that's not so, bad I mean, at all. And and you have what looks like an arcade machine, two thirds scale. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's very cool. I've seen even like the one tenth scale, those like mini ones that actually run, uh, just kind of more of a novelty, of course. But uh, yeah, yeah, it's I've, great. I've, I've I've got one of those too, and that's playing on the, playing on the little <laughs> trackball that's the size of yeah. a of a pea. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. Um, so Ryan, with the gaming industry in particular, technology is moving at such a rapid pace that looking back 10 years, there's so much that has changed from story production to sound design, of course, visuals, uh, with that in mind, what's your take on contemporary gaming? Um, two different 
extreme directions. Okay. Mm -hmm. Taking the retro thing out of it, two different extreme directions. There is the heavy duty produced movie that you interact with mm -hmm. like Spider-Man. Yeah. There's the other side of the equation. There's the quick time waster type of games that are on your phone. Right. There's the, really the two spreads. I mean, there's not a lot of games for the new consoles that you can get up and play and have a blast with in 10 minutes. Yeah, on that's the, true. On the, big, on the big new consoles mm -hmm. where the handheld, the little games, you know, on your tablets are made primarily for that. And then there's mm -hmm. the, re then there's kind of the retro stuff kind of halfway in between. So, mm -hmm. I mean, there's just, and they've also gotten in these mega budgets. I mean, they, they are movie production level budgets when they make a movie. When oh yeah. A game like that. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, the teams are massive now for some of these AAA studios. Um, yes. So how, I mean, it, it just keeps going. Yeah, it sure does. Uh, what what kind of I know you mentioned you don't play a lot of newer games. What do you what do you typically try and focus on in terms of what, what you play? Um, I'm mainly hearing about a game that I remember vaguely. I mean, I worked at Babbage's, which, 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 which is from before GameStop. Mm -hmm. And I worked there from about, what was it, 88 to 1990, 91. And I remember seeing all these games on the shelf. I remember seeing the Turbo Graphics come in. I remember seeing all these different stuff. I go back and play some of them. Whether, oh, it's nice. emula whether it's emulated or I'm at one of these cons and there's people developing new games for mm -hmm. consoles from the 80s. There's just, there's just cool stuff. I, I like seeing what can be done on more limited technology. We yeah. know that we know that games will keep on filling every bit of processing power that these new, you know, PlayStation sevens come out with or whatever, <laughs> but yeah. it's amazing. It's amazing what they used to do with three megahertz and 20 K 30 K. Yeah. Even a hundred K was massive. I mean, those games for, for my Apple two computer, I think a floppy disk was like 180 K and they put a whole game in that 180, 180 K nowadays doesn't fit a word document sometimes. not even yeah <laughs> yeah it's it's incredible I, I heard some something like a uh like a one gigabyte sd card or something could fit like the the majority of the like retro gaming collection for everything all the manufacturers something just bizarre like that or um yeah, i mean just the our phones in our pockets are just such a crazy piece of technology in terms of how things were 10 15 20 years ago uh the every rom for the atari 2600 which was like 800 games Mm -hmm. It's in like five megabytes. Oh my gosh! <laughs> Every game that's it's incredible. Five megabytes. <laughs> yeah. Oh man, uh, I I do think that the um, statement you made about uh, it's interesting to see what these developers can do and kind of push the boundaries on um, with limited technology or with limited space or or what have you. Um, I think indie gaming is integral right now to the success of the entire gaming industry. Uh, so indie developers are pushing the boundaries themselves. They're taking a lot of these chances with their games that a lot of the AAA do, studios and developers simply can't do or won't do due, due to financial reasons. Um, what's your take on indie gaming? I think it's a fantastic environment because mm -hmm. you can get a game released and going and play with it and tweak it a little bit. I've seen at some of these cons people making indie games for old consoles and making in, um, retro-styled games for new consoles. Mm -hmm. And yeah. it, it, it's back to where it was in the 70s and early 80s that one or two people can produce a game and get it out there and make money at it. It's mm -hmm. not something where you have to get Electronic Arts to pick it, pick it up. Mm -hmm. They pay you maybe 10% of it. And they can make all the money. It also gets these games out there for under ten dollars a piece. Yeah. Like the television people were talking about, those are going to be cheaper games that everybody can play. It's not going to be a seventy-five dollar Call of Duty fifteen or whatever. 
sure. game that, that once you install it has to download four gigabytes more worth of data off the web. Mm-hmm. I mean, right. it's, it's, it's going to be simple, fun games. And I've seen some great indie games that are heavily detailed, but I've mm-hmm. also seen even more of them that are um, simpler games that people can really enjoy. Yeah. I think they, they do seem to capture a lot of that retro gaming feel and nostalgia. Um, I'm not sure if you're familiar with some of these titles, but a game like Shovel Knight or Celeste or The Messenger that came out earlier this year, uh, those games really do a great job of feeling like a retro game that you've played back in the 80s on NES or what yeah. have you, um, but uh, tweaked a bit more for the modern generation of gaming, but they still have a lot of that brutal difficulty that, that you'd come to expect from a lot of the NES games, and they don't hold your hand like a lot of the new AAA mm-hmm. games do. Um, have you gotten a chance to play any of these uh, a newer style uh, retro games? I haven't played them, but something that reminded me of when you're talking about this, kind of going off on a tangent. Mm-hmm. Number one selling game of all time of actual sold stuff is Tetris. Number two is Minecraft, which if yeah. you look at Minecraft, it is totally 8-bit styled. Uh-huh. And, yeah. and and they keep on coming out with Minecraft for these new machines, mm-hmm. for, for the Xbox One and the PS4 and stuff like that, when they mm-hmm. came out a long time ago. And they keep on adding cool stuff you can do with them. So, I mean... Working in the retro style allows more room for creativity, yeah. And and with what you do with stuff, definitely. Oh sure, yeah. And that's 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 a game that's truly a phenomenon for uh, the entire world. At one point, was captivated by that. I didn't really get around to playing it just because I I didn't get too interested in the the Minecraft gameplay itself. I I didn't really know what to do a lot of the time in there, but mm-hmm. I know how big of a game it was. And uh, uh, you know, similar games that we're seeing now are getting a lot of hype uh, like Fortnite. If you've heard of Fortnite, it's a, a free game that you can play on just about every device, but it's it's got the whole world taken by a storm, yeah. um, quite literally. So here's a good question for you, and, and one that I, I'm sure you knew was coming. Uh, what's your favorite game console of all time? Game console? Mm-hmm. Probably the Sega Genesis. Okay. Um, it, nice. was, it was ahead of its time. It it won. It was winning the battle for a long time until Nintendo came back in with the Super Nintendo. Sure. Um, so yeah, it'd be Sega Genesis in the way of an arcade game. Um, the Star Wars game uh, put out by Atari that was a, a vector-based game oh, from wow. from the early '80s. I I own that one. I had to drive to Rochester, New York, which is like 14 <laughs> hours for me to pick it up <laughs> yeah. because they're rather they're rather rare. But that would be my favorite arcade machine. Very cool. Yeah, Genesis was uh, actually the first gaming console that I ever got. So that's that's where my history starts. Very cool. Um, yeah. And the obvious follow-up question, uh, what's your favorite game of all time? And if that's too difficult to answer, just because there is so many, what would you say your favorite games of uh, all time are? I don't play it a lot, but I like watching people play it. Mm-hmm. The Super Smash Brothers series. Yeah. Um, overall, <laughs> because... You know, with, with the latest incarnations, you can have eight people playing, and it's just mm-hmm. a party-style game, which I think is a fun way to play games rather than just someone sitting in their basement playing a game or virtual playing against someone mm-hmm. else across stuff. I mm-hmm. like those games. Um, of one from the retro era, um, I mentioned Star Wars earlier. I mm-hmm. love Robotron. I'm not very good at it. I like Galaga. I like Dig Dug. Those mm-hmm. kinds of stuff. Simple awesome. games. Games back when you could have a game with only like two buttons. Yeah. You were happy about it. (laughs) Oh, yeah. I remember uh, the first time I played Dig Dug. That was uh, a game that I got very, very invested in. 
Um, and my Galaga, I think, is my mom's favorite game. If I were to ask her, what's your favorite game of all time? Her go-to is always Galaga. Anytime yep. we see it at a at a bar or somewhere that we're out and there's an arcade machine with Galaga, she always uh, challenges me to a, a quick duel. And uh, she thinks she's slick with her uh, different you know, maneuvers of getting like the two ships going at the same time. And I'm, I'm yep, you know... Yep. I, I, she, she just loves the, that game. <laughs> it's, it's, Another game that should get an honorable mention. I uh, experienced how the Portland retro gaming expo and saw people that are totally crazy for it. Tetris. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the, the classic Tetris world championship was happening out there. And these people were absolutely freaking amazing at Tetris. I barely see the piece show up on the screen and they've already placed it and they're on to the uh-huh. next piece. So yeah, check out some of incredible. that stuff. Classic Tetris, Tetris world championship. I think it's called. Yeah, I I've never been too big into Tetris. I just puzzle gaming in general isn't really like my my forte, but um mm-hmm. there's there's different iterations of Tetris I've played throughout the years. Um uh, interestingly enough, uh, your your son's got a PlayStation 4 you mentioned, right? Yep. Do you, does he have a PlayStation VR headset? No, we haven't gone that far yet. Yeah, if you guys ever get into that later this year, um they're releasing a game called Tetris Effect, which is a uh, a modernization of Tetris. It's still the base game, but it's in full virtual reality and it's um heavily music based as well. There's a developer that's working on it that did uh, a, an early PlayStation 2 game I want to say called Res, uh, which was pretty popular back in the day, very music inspired. I, I, I remember that. Yep, I remember. Yeah, that so same guy who did that is working on this game it looks fantastic so uh yeah if you do like tetris or anybody out there that does like tetris and has playstation vr look out for tetris effect i think that's coming out in a couple months um so ryan what what do you think is the best era of retro gaming uh looking back in your opinion well if i had to pick it it would be the era that i that i was involved in which is considered the golden era Mm -hmm. of the of the late 70s early 80s but for anybody that's out there they're going to say their era is when they were in junior high and high school. That's when we played games. That's, that's the era that, that we're all going to enjoy. What we're trying to do with old school gamer is cover all of the cover, all of those. And basically anything that's about, you know, 20 years old mm-hmm. or older, you know, because that's the point that, you know, again, we start having some money to buy back those games that, that mom threw away when we left the house for college. I think I mentioned that earlier. Right, right. Yeah, definitely. And it's interesting with the, the term retro gaming is, you know, at, at 10, 15 years ago, it was very definitive what you meant by retro gaming. But we're mm-hmm. creeping up now into the the mid to late 90s being considered retro gaming, which to me is just bizarre. It makes me feel all of a sudden, <laughs> you know, we're getting these this PlayStation classic console that just got uh, announced coming out later this year. And to me, I'm, I'm like, are we there already? Is that retro gaming now? That still feels like so uh, recent to me. So when your music is being played on the oldie station in town. That's when you're retro and that's when you're old. <laughs> when, when, when I heard hair bands on the radio station I used to work at back in the 1980s and I would hear, I would hear Bon Jovi and stuff from when I was a kid. Yes, that means I'm old. <laughs> I guess I guess it's it's my time is coming soon then. It's, it's coming up, brother. <laughs> so um, I want to turn it back to the old school gamer magazine for a moment. Okay. Um, I think it's it's very interesting that you guys chose to go with a physical media route. And you, you mentioned you've got the digital version available online uh, for people to check out there. But um, interesting in the, the the year that we're in now that you guys are, are taking on a new a print media. Um, what, what pushed you guys towards making a, a physical print magazine in this day and age? Well, the era that we're talking about is back when everything was physical for gaming. Mm-hmm. When, when everything w- was that way and just starting to go to a little bit of digital stuff. I mean, it isn't until 
what the mid nineties that we start getting real digital mm-hmm. download games or any kind of online gaming and stuff. So we figured for a crowd that is into physical media, cartridges, mm-hmm. discs, that kind of stuff, it made sense. Yeah. So as long as we're still covering that, we will still be doing a print magazine. That's the plan. I mean, we do the digital magazine and if for some reason, a couple of years from now, this, you know, things haven't taken off. Yeah. We'll probably still do the digital magazine, but yeah. it took, it took the investment in a print magazine to make it really work. There's a ton of blogs. There's great YouTube channels. There's great podcasts. There's all kinds of stuff out there. Yeah. We wanted to find a niche that we did and did great that no one else was doing. And there really isn't anybody else doing what we are. Yeah. We're still, we're still trying to find our kind of little angle on it a little bit more. And we're getting closer and closer to it all the time. Mm-hmm. But there's a ton of stuff out there in other formats. We wanted to be different. Yeah. And, and then we wanted to work with players like yourself, players like some of these other shows and stuff that are out there mm-hmm. and not be kind of competing with them. We want to, we want to do our own style. We feel there's a distinct um, place for us in the industry. And so far um, in general, the industry has taken to us very well. That's awesome. Yeah. And I, I, I like what you mentioned there, uh, having that physical media, it definitely is a good callback to the physical cartridge and, and everything. So, um, that's very cool. And I, I think it's, it is commendable too to, to do a, a, a physical print magazine in this day and age. And, um, I really hope you guys do well too. And uh, you guys are six issues into this new magazine. I've got the most recent one here, the September issue. Um, I, I looked through it front to back a few times, and I really like the different things, uh, 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 different types of content you guys are covering in there. What's your overall vision for Old School Gamer Magazine going forward? Well, I'll, I'll tell you, we're working on our seventh issue right now. Mm-hmm. It was kind of layout work on it about an hour ago. And um, I can see us basically, instead of going monthly, we're just going to start adding more pages to it as we can afford to. Mm-hmm. And as we get more supporters from the industry and more great material, um, we're going to do th- we're going to do theme issues for a while. This next issue um, being fighting games, and we're actually discussing in our in our Facebook staff group what we're going to do after that. We've done maze games, RPGs. Uh, we did a Donkey Kong special issue. We did sports games, nice. um, and the one that you have in your hands is kind of a pop culture thing, as to how much um, stuff crossed over from one to the other. You know, Pac-Man yeah. Fever, and th- that kind of stuff crossing over. So, um, usually about two thirds of the or half to two thirds of the issue is on the theme, but then there's always other new stuff in there. Our coverage of expos, mm-hmm. coverage of new retro gaming uh, consoles that come out and stuff. So, I mean, we're 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 doing good. Mm-hmm. But again, people live in an immediate world where they find out these digital things. Like, for instance, our television coverage, you know, we did a little bit within the last issue, but and there'll be a little bit in this one. But I mean, you can find out all that stuff so quickly. So yeah, we, we're going with quality and depth of material, not just stuff that someone looked up on Wikipedia and wrote an article about it. Sure. This is going back to the original programmer that made the game, mm-hmm. talking to them about them, what their inspiration was. We have a piece of this issue on Battlezone that we talked to three or four other people that originally did. There's actually some code in there about how they did things. It's really depth of material you're not going to find anywhere else. Yeah, well, that's fantastic. Yeah, and uh, I, I, I did. Uh, I was kind of taken aback at how how much coverage you guys have on all of the different expos and stuff. You guys, your calendar's jam packed there. Uh, I, I, the, I, the... I, I'm enjoying traveling a lot. I take my kids with me and I have some other people cover some of the shows I haven't gotten to, but we'll hit probably next year, probably 20 different expos. Jeez, that's that's just, to, cool. just to get the word out on the thing. Yeah. It feeds, it feeds my hobby. I mean, I, sure. I bought myself a cartridge or two there and I actually bought some laser discs. Oh, um, nice. <laughs> of, of old movies too. So <laughs> I, I'm, I'm retro in every way. 
Hey, man, I appreciate that. That's very cool. Well, Ryan, uh, I want to thank you again for spending some time with me today on the podcast. Always great to chat with another fellow gamer, especially one with such vast experiences. Um, why don't you take a moment to let people know where they can find you and Old School Gamer online? Um, OldSchoolGamer.com. Uh, to subscribe to our free digital edition, you go to OldSchoolGamer.com slash subscribe. And make sure to put in the little where do you hear about us, but in your element podcast or in your element or I, I, Y, E or something to that effect. So I know that you heard about it on the show. Mm-hmm. Uh, we would we would appreciate it. You can subscribe to the print version. It's $30 a year and we deliver it to your mail. But what I really recommend you do is at least get the digital version. Enjoy it on our app. Enjoy it on the browser. And just tell us what you think. If you um, have comments, email me directly. Uh, RB at OldSchoolGamer.com. It's RB for Ryan Berger and feed me comments as the things you want to see in there. I mean, we're, we're hungry for material. We, we want to serve the retro vibe and we want to help you, you know, bring back the eighties or the nineties or whatever decade is your time. Fantastic. Ryan, thanks again. If you have any questions for the show, email me at the email address. Hello at in your I'll answer your questions on the next episode of in your element. Don't forget to subscribe to the show on Apple podcasts or whatever podcast service you use to listen to in your element. Also, take a moment to drop a five-star review on iTunes or in the Apple Podcasts app. It helps with discoverability for the show. Also, a reminder to visit patreon.com slash inyourelement and support at any level to receive bonus episodes early, gain access to the In Your Element Discord server, be eligible for giveaways, attend patron hangouts, and more. Until next time, see you later, Elementalists. (laughs) 